As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It is Monday, December 20th. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. And on this episode, we are going to focus on the hitters who are most interested in seeing the calendar flip to 2022. We're just a couple of weeks away from the new year. So we figured this was a really good time to look for the best possible bounce back candidates because if you were doing early drafts, there are opportunities to get these players at considerable discounts. Some of these players might actually be pitfall players that cause problems. So we're going to look at some star level guys, some young players. We're going to take a look at some older guys that might be nearing the end of their career, but also could provide some really nice super late options depending on the circumstances. You know, how's it going for you on this Monday? Good. Ready for the holidays. I hope everyone else is as well. I'm going to be down in San Diego. Uh, after uh, Christmas and before New Year's. So uh, if you hear this in time, uh, hit me up on Twitter and uh, <laughs> we'll go drinking somewhere. I'll do another North Park meetup. Seems like that's the that's the norm in San Diego. You get at least one meetup in down there and hopefully we can have a few in the Bay Area come uh, after the New Year as we kind of figure out what works location-wise? Uh, we've been scouting locations now for a few weeks. We continue <laughs> to scout locations at every opportunity yes, honey. we get. I have to scout more locations with Derek. We have to do live podcasts. Does it have to be at a brewery? Yes. <laughs> it's in, I'm sorry, babe. It's in my contract. Don't you guys want to you know, go to a library and do a show or something? <laughs> do they have beer there? Yeah. What about a coffee shop? Could you do a coffee shop? Do they have beer there? <laughs> These are the important questions that we wrestle in with. In Portland, all the coffee shops brew their own beer. So, I think I would really like that about Portland. <laughs> it's good to have the option, especially on the weekends. If you, if you work there, you could just switch from coffee in the morning to beer in the afternoon. <laughs> Start your shift, get caffeinated all day, hydrate a little bit in the afternoon, clock out, have a beer, call it a day. No, I meant like, you know, if you're writing at the... You're right in there, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's a little extreme, but uh, let, let's let's start at the top. Let's start with some of the the star level players 
that had disappointing 2021s. You went about this with a method, which is always a good way to figure out just how bad a season was and how good the next one could be. So what was your method for trying to unearth some players that look like they're on the surface primed for a big bounce back season in 2022? Yeah, we will uncover a bit of a flaw in the method uh, as we go through this, just uh, when it comes to uh, porting this over to fantasy. But uh, my favorite real life stat is WRC plus, which is weighted runs created. It basically takes all the events that a batter does and weights them uh, correctly for how they would uh, they would in- impact an offense. Um, so it's a little bit closer to like an OPS plus, where it's uh, it's adding up your 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 bases, your your getting on base, your slugging, um, and then adjusting for the park context. Um, so I took last year's wrc plus and then i took the steamer projected and that's on fan graphs the steamer projected wrc plus for next year uh and i subtracted one from the other so basically the biggest bounce back in baseball is going to be pretty obvious before i say the words but drum roll please cody (laughs) ballinger come on down (laughs) he had a 48 wrc plus last year and he is projected next year, uh, which is actually incorporating some of his downfall because he he's had much better seasons than this in the past. He's projected for a 114 WRC plus, where he would be 14% better than league next year, uh, and that is the biggest difference in baseball last year. So there's something really interesting that you pulled and putting on the screen. If you're watching us on YouTube, you can enjoy this graphic. If you are listening with your ears, we will describe the graphic to you and make it come to life that way. If you have a memory of, of Cody Bellinger, in the 2020 playoffs, it's probably him doing the, the elbow five and hurting his shoulder. Right. And then for the rest of the postseason, it was kind of like eh, Bellinger might not be okay. And then he had surgery. And I think with, Bigger surgeries like that, a lot of times players are are ready for the start of the season. They are healthy in terms of the number of games played. The role is still there the way it is. And performance takes some time to catch up. We've seen this with with shoulders, we've seen it with hips, we've seen it with back injuries, all sorts of major injuries do this. You pulled the rolling exit velocity chart for Cody Bellinger, and I think you've got it starting in June, ending at the end of the year. And it's exactly where it should be at the end of the season. And it's nowhere close to where it would have been previously at the beginning in June. And I think health is a huge part of why Cody Bellinger underwhelmed us in the 2021 season. He just wasn't physically himself until probably the second half of the season. Yeah, I, I, a few notes on this. Uh, the reason that it starts uh, later in the season is because I it's a rolling, I think it's 40 balls in play I used. Uh, so it has to, it had to start after he had to have 40 balls before he, you know, before, before this rolling, uh, chart could start. Uh, but yeah, it's like well below 90 on average. Then he kind of reaches a plateau around 90 for much of the season. But then by the end of the season, he looked like he was a little bit more healthy, was up to 91 average EV. Um, and, uh, in the playoffs, that was, uh, even better, um, you know, average exit velocity is not something uh, that has a lot of predictive power, and it's not um, something you should uh, use, uh, you know, in a um, 
in a blanket way uh, because uh, somebody could hit uh, a bunch of 48 mile per hour grounders uh, and then a bunch of 120 mile per hour blasts and they would look the same as someone who just hit a bunch of balls 80 or whatever. Um, and so average EV is not powerful. Um, but uh, a note on some other statistics that are relevant here. His max EV was down. Um, and uh, I know there's uh, some that uh, have looked into the power of max EV and found it wanting. Um, but I will say uh, this about that. Um, it is better to use 90th or 80th percentile than max because max can be a little bit fluky. Uh, that's something we found in the numbers. Another thing is, uh, and I hate to appeal to authority, but <laughs> I know that teams use uh, max EV and 85th percentile EV uh, and find it to have predictive power. Uh, and then lastly, uh, Tom Tango has looked into this and said that if you look basically at the 40% hardest hit balls that a player hits, um, that that gives you the most information. Now, I wish that was on Savant. So sometimes I use Max EV as, um, you know, shorthand. Uh, but I did run uh, 80th percentile EV o- over the course of the season for him. And it also was best uh, in the playoffs and in, in the final month of the season. Um, and there was a market difference where it went up by about five miles an hour. So I, I think those all tell the same story. Sometimes, you know, it's not the best stat in the world to use, but uh, I think this tells the story of him getting better uh, as the season goes on. And I, in, in, you were going to compare him to some other, you know, veteran bounce backs. And I think, I think there's enough information there in that postseason run and in that, that EV getting better that I like him better than some of the other bounce back names that we'll talk about. Let's compare him to Christian Yelich because I'm wearing a Brewers hat and they, <laughs> you know, they compete for MVP awards at the same time. Their careers just seem like they're on such similar paths. The the Yelich 2021, it was worse from a fantasy perspective than it was from a real life perspective. Like the the magnitude of his downslope was not nearly as bad as I would have expected it to be because if you'd say who the, who's number two on the list if Bellinger's number one my guess would have been Yelich and he's not quite there like he's he's in a notable position on the projected WRC plus versus last season's WRC plus his difference is I think 19 right a, a 120 projection he was a 101 in 2021 which if you had Christian Yelich on your team if you picked him in the first round of a draft back in the spring you wouldn't have guessed that so the question here is, what was going on with Yelich? Because we we know Bellinger had shoulder surgery. Uh, what do you see in Yelich's profile that might give you either similar optimism to a Bellinger bounce back or maybe slightly less optimism given that the collapse wasn't as bad and we don't really have a clear explanation of what actually happened to him a year ago? Yeah, I mean, I think Yelich kept a lot of his game afloat um, with walks. So in OBP leagues, you know, he still had a, uh, some value. But if you look at his power numbers and his hard hit rate over time, uh, and you there are some graphs at, at Fangraphs, so you can do this easily. Um, it, he actually, in 2020, was already showing some slippage. Uh, there's kind of a straight line from early 2019 to late 2021, and that line goes down. Um, and I just don't see any of that power rebound in Kristen Yelich's graphs. And the other thing that I don't like about it is that we have this easy diagnosis 
for Bellinger. Like we we have a thing to point to, and it is the kind of thing that time and rehab will do better. And an off season where um, you know he can fully uh, he can fully work out uh, will change things for Bellinger. While uh, Yelich, I think the diagnosis is more squiggly. It's it's back. You know, and it's maybe just, you know, there was that time where he was out and they were just asking, would he come back? And if he came back, was it just a pain issue and would it just never go away? And so um, that makes me nervous, uh, frankly, about his season next year is that um, back surgeries don't have good outcomes. You know, they're kind of 50-50s. So even if he has the surgery and he's not having, it doesn't seem like he's having the surgery. We haven't heard anything about it. So it might just be an issue the rest of his career. He may just not have the same power that he used to. He followed that ball off his knee in September of 2019. So that led into his 2020 season, which I think that was the easy sort of, okay, yeah, 2020 wasn't even a long enough season for him to get right. He probably right. didn't feel like himself trying to prepare there were other for the players season. that just that just didn't have the time to get back on yeah yeah it was easier to to make that that sort of uh, to write that but story now in your the head numbers are just still they still going down the thing that's kind of standing out too is uh he was reaching more right that's not this is not something i would expect christian yelich to do because when i think of him as a hitter i just think he's really disciplined and generally going to be locked in on on pitches he can drive it seemed like maybe he got a little more aggressive trying to work his way out of the issue yeah um i don't know he he when he was in 2019 when he was good uh his reach rate was higher than it was in 2021 and 20 2020 and 2021 um but um i think it's been more of a coping strategy i think he can't hit for the same power and so he's trying to he's trying to give the team something and so the team what he's giving them is walks and and more disciplined approach I would say that if my back hurt, it'd be less likely that I could contort myself to hit a very high fastball or a very low one. And I, and I would say, okay, the best thing I can do now is just focus on middle middle. Um, I did have someone who is in player development uh, point out to me that uh, most of the damage is done middle middle. And that's why we talk so much on this, on this podcast about reach rate and plate discipline. Um, because there are players that can do some damage on weird pitches, but that's not that's not the norm. And the norm is that the damage is done middle middle, and that the best the players with the best play discipline swing the most at middle middle, and also force the pitchers to kind of get closer to middle middle by not swinging at anything outside the zone. Yeah, that was sorry. That was more of a question to you than a statement about him reaching more. Looking at the numbers, you're right. 2019, that was the highest O swing of his entire career. I mean, that's bizarre. 30.6%. 2021, he was at 22.8%, which was one of the lower seasons of his career. So yeah, I don't, I don't know. There were there were a lot of instances. It felt like where he had pitches that were close that were called against him. I have to do a search on that to see if that was extraordinarily high, but even that wouldn't fully explain I think why it's he wasn't the power. I mean, if you just look at hard hit rate on fan graphs over time, it just it just goes straight down. It's just a there's a little bit of a of a bounce in 2021, but it, it like the bounce brings him back to where he sat in 2020 and none of the bounces in 2021 bring him back to where he sat in 2019. These two guys are in basically the, the same cluster for uh, 2022 early drafts, by the way. Bellinger going about 10 picks earlier in most drafts. I, I, will, I would pay the picks. I, I, I am reasonably excited about Bellinger next year. 
you know, I would trade for him in in dynasties. Um, you know, the dude is 26 years old. There's also an age difference, right? Yeah. He's 26 years old. Uh, before this year, he'd been uh, doing really good things with his contact rate. He's always had a really good eye. He does not have like a crazy swing and strike rate. Uh, he's still running well. Uh, he's got some positional versatility for you. Um, and he has a demonstrated level where I think the worst case scenario, you know, I see almost his projections as a bit of a floor because the projections don't see that he played through injury. So the projections see, oh, he had a really terrible season. So I'm going to project him for a 243 batting average, 331 OBP, 27 homers and eight stolen bases. I mean, I'm not saying that's his literal floor. His literal floor is, uh oh, he's, he's a 210 guy again. Um, but I also see much more upside than that where he can get back to like a 270 type level uh, and 30 plus homers. Um, so, and I think that's well within reach at 26 years old, he could have another career season. So um, Bellinger is one of my favorite bounce. I think he is my favorite bounce back on this list. Yeah, the key difference for me is just the quality of the Dodgers lineup. Like I expect the Dodgers to score more runs than the Brewers as those teams are constructed. So runs and RBIs runs matter. And RBI. Also easier to hit with runners on base. Yeah. They, they can't they can't do the same stuff shifting wise if they have to cover first. I think there's at least one more player that you found that I'd put in the same cluster, and that's Alex Bregman. And we got a little more info on him in November. Yeah, that gross thing that he showed me on his hand. He had to have surgery on it. Yeah, he had wrist surgery back in early November. By all indications, he should be good to go when spring training begins, whenever that happens to be. I think Bregman is He's a great floor player, and the debate is more about whether or not he still has the yeah. ceiling of a, a 41 homer guy. I mean, 2019, you're the rabbit ball. Hard to say that anyone's, if anyone's best year was 2019, that that was even a true talent ceiling. That may have been a ceiling with a little more added on because of, of the ball. But let's even look at 2018. That's kind of a max volume sort of situation, right? 705 plate appearances that year. He popped 31 homers. He stole 10 bases. He hit 286. This is a guy that gets on base a lot, hits for a high average pretty much all the time, has shown power, and even occasionally gives you just a little bit of speed. Can we write off 2021 as the wrist, as the problem? And if we're doing that, how much of a bounce back are we getting? Could we get a season that mostly resembles that 2018 season again in 2022? Hmm. I think it'd be better to expect uh, a 2020 season, uh, you know, uh, paced out to a full season uh, to pay for, to at least pay for that sort of thing. And by a rate basis, that's what his projections are for. Basically, you know, a, a high OBP, better in OBP leagues, a 209 ISO in 2020 and a 215 projected ISO. Uh, so I would pay and expect a low twenties, a mid mid twenties uh, home run total. Um just because he's kind of even in 18 and 19 when he hit the, all those homers he kind of outperformed his barrel rates and it's a little bit because he kind of did the Brian Dozier where he just targeted one part of his home field and just hit a bunch of homers into that uh into those Crawford boxes um he's also his approach is high and tight like he wants the ball high and tight and what he's do is turn on those so in terms of spray angle he's going to make the most of his barrels because his barrels are pulled you know um he, he takes inside pitches and, and tomahawks them 
So he is going to, you know, pulled barrels are better than opposite field barrels. So there's, you know, he'll make the most of it. So even if he has like a, you know, a 6% barrel rate last year, that's actually low for someone who might have 25, 26, 27 homers. So I think that's already baked into the projections. So I, I don't like if you gave me an over under, I'd set the over under at, you know, 25 and a half. Yeah, it, it does seem like there's just kind of a, a perfect marriage of approach and ballpark where he can he can make the most out of Minute Maid and, and therefore exceed expectations, come ahead of the projections. I mean, I think of the three guys we've talked about so far, Bregman goes even a couple picks ahead of Bellinger. On average, they're pretty much a toss up at this point. I think Bregman is still the safest to me of these three players because he hasn't collapsed as much as Bellinger did in 2021. And the skills, the K-rate, I mean, Christian Yelich, the K-rate came back down in 2021 compared to where it was in the shortened season. But there's a longer trend there of more strikeouts. Bregman hasn't reached that yet. Even Bellinger's had more swing and miss in his game than Bregman by a good margin throughout his time in the big leagues. So I just think those plate love, skills age really well. I love that well. strikeout rate, yeah. It's so I love, good. I love a little strikeout rate like that. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. And even if you're not in an OBP league, you know, you're going to reap benefits from him scoring a bunch of runs um, and just, just having a good approach, I think. So I love Alex Bregman. I think, you know, one thing that popped for me was that in this list of bounce backs, he had the highest WRC plus in the top, the highest last year, you know, uh, w, WRC plus in the top. Like, you have to go all the way down to 78 and Juan Soto. Se- the 78th biggest bounce back projected is for Juan Soto. <laughs> <laughs> he did have that slow start before the, what, 200 WRC plus in the second half? Yeah, he had a 163, and he's projected for a 169. <laughs> is that right? That's look absurd. At the right here. That's so good. No, no, I think I looked at the wrong numbers here. He's what? Oh, diff is six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what it is. So, yeah. uh, so by that point, there's not really. A, I wouldn't call that much of a bounce back. But anyway, that tells you something about um, about Bregman. I think that he had a 115 on WRC plus, and he's projected for 139. Like, that's pretty impressive, actually. Um, and so, I think that is a reason for him to for him to stand out. And uh, yeah, I think Bregman's probably my second favorite bounce back. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Let's take a look at some guys that were going in the middle early rounds and see if they have a bright future here because Gliber Torres, like 
where on earth did his power go? I'm sure we talked about him a few times on this pod. We talked about him on the Athletic Fantasy Baseball Show. We talked about him on the Athletic Baseball Show. He's everywhere because it's puzzling. He's very young. He just turned 25 last week. And the power we saw in 2019, same caveats apply that we put on Bregman. Okay, sure. Maybe 38 home runs isn't the true ceiling for Torres. But what he did in 2018 as a rookie, he popped 24 homers that year in just 123 games. So that's a high 20s sort of expectation going forward. He's hit 12 home runs over the past two seasons combined. Again, that's only 169 games. Where on earth did the power go? At least he's running a little bit to help uh, keep his value somewhat afloat. The average has been down. The K's, they're, they're fine. 20% is fine. Like a 9.7% walk rate is good. That's a little more than he was walking the first two seasons of his career. Uh, what do you think 2022 holds for Gleyber Torres? Like, I'm still a stan. I'm still, a, I'd still go for him. I love that. Again, I love the plate discipline. I like the, the, the strikeout rate. Um, and, you know, there was a little bit of a return in terms of barrel rate and in terms of max EV last year. But if you look at hard hit rate, he kind of fell off um, at one point. Um, and yes, the barrel rates the last two years are are below what he used to be. So in 2018-2019, he had 9% barrel rates. In 2020, it fell to 3.7%. Uh, and then last year, it was 7.8%. I mean, if you give him his career total, you know, and that bakes in that terrible 2020... His career total would be an eight percent barrel rate. Uh, to me, that that can that's uh, that's above average. You know, like a, a, an average barrel rate is around four and a half to five percent, depending on how you look at our median, right? Uh, so it's an above average uh, barrel rate in a park that should sustain it. He should go back to Camden Yards and hit a couple. You know, there. I think he should have at least league average power. I think he should hit you know twenty three to twenty six homers next year. Um, and if he does that and steals some bases. You know, he's going to be a value probably at two positions. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes back to second base. So, yeah, uh, there's uh, there's a lot of value there. I think uh, I, I would I would draft him as an MI, um, especially if I chose a weak starting second baseman. Uh, it'd be nice to have him to slot in after your other guy. Yeah, and compared to the the stars that had disappointing 2021s, again, Torres, I think, is just one notch below those sorts of guys in terms of where we were previously looking at him. He's outside the top 150 in early NFBC ADP. There's an early pick of 124. I mean, even if you were going to do that, if you're going to jump in and, and set a new min pick on him at 120, that's the end of the eighth round of a 15-team league. And who are, who are you putting him up against MI-wise? If you, you jump him up... Where I think, like, you, yeah, in the one twenties, where would you be going? Who would be going against? That puts him up against DJ Lemayhew, who also uh, plays first and third. I take Torres, man. That puts him up against Jake Cronenworth, who's eligible also at first, so first, second, I short. Like, I like Cronenworth. Uh, yeah, I guess you know one thing that's interesting about him versus Cronenworth is age. You know. Yeah, uh, Jake Cronenworth uh, may have uh, a better year in him, but he's 27, so we may have just seen his best. Uh, and I do think that Gleyber Torres' best is better than Cronenworth's 260, 21 homers, and four stolen bases. Should have more stolen bases, should have more homers, could have more batting average. You know, 
So I, I think I do take uh, Torres over Cronenworth, but I understand that the floor I think for Cronenworth is better. So if somebody else took Cronenworth, I wouldn't I wouldn't complain. How about Glaber versus Dansby Swanson? Hmm. Hmm. So Swanson is uh, already also twenty seven. Uh, he doesn't steal bases at the same rate, but uh, or at least it projected he's for ten and Vibers for fourteen. I think that's a that's enough of a difference to matter. Uh, Swanson is a little bit like Cronenworth too, where it's just like it'll be a safer production, right? Mm-hmm. I think it's safer. Uh, but Torres's strikeout rate is lower, and I think his power upside is higher. The last so, one I can throw at you is Willie Adames because Willie Adames is also in this range. Mm, yeah. Uh, I really liked what Adames did in Milwaukee, but, you know, he has such a high strikeout rate in his rearview mirror that, you know, I, I know that there's a narrative there, you know, and, uh, you know, I was writing up, I was trying to put together a story about the trop and how it augments strikeout rates and how the, the lights uh, affected Adames. So, I talked to him about that, and his, you know, his his uh, strikeout rate with Milwaukee was twenty five percent, which is a real improvement. But if there's any regression there, and he goes back to sort of twenty seven, twenty eight, twenty nine percent, I'd rather have uh, Torres. So I think the hardest decision for me would be the floor versus ceiling with Swanson and Cronenworth versus Torres. Yeah, so that's the range. If you're going to push Gleiber up, he's going to go there. If you're going to go where he's been going and just wait it out and see if he's still there, then you're looking at you know, Ty France and Brendan Rodgers and Chris Taylor, a bunch of other multi-position eligible guys. But Torres will be multi-position eligible because he's not playing shortstop every day in 2022. He's going to move back to second base, almost certainly. So you will have a little bit of positional flexibility. And I, you know, like it might be real fun uh, to kind of double tap Cronenworth and Torres there. Um, I think you bake in some floor and ceiling opportunity there. You bake in a lot of positional versatility. And those types of players, I think, are undervalued a lot of times. Not necessarily by projections heads. So projections heads will get how valuable they are. But people who aren't running off projections will see that there's that there's no impact in any one category. Um, you know, I liked uh, Gene Segura last year a lot for the same kind of, you know, just he's going to help you everywhere in every category, you know. And that's the kind of stuff that Cronenworth and Torres can do for you, even if they don't get to hit 30 homers. I should bring up another player who fits into this conversation perfectly, and that's Jeff McNeil, who goes even later. He's a fringe top 300 guy in terms of ADP. And I don't know if I ever expect the power to come all the way back for a little while. It looked like McNeil and DJ LeMahieu were sort of joined at the ADP hip because multi-positions and high batting averages. I mean... Jeff McNeil hit 311 or higher in each of his first three seasons. Average dropped 60 points from 2020 to 251. The power, I think it's more like 12 to 15 home run power when everything's going well. But if he's getting on base a lot and he's well above norm, if he's elite even in batting average, that lineup keeps improving. As long as the playing time holds as basically every day, I think he fits really well where he's going in drafts right now. Yeah, and he's in projected bounce backs. Gleyber Torres is the uh, 15th biggest uh, projected bounce back right behind Alex Bregman, and McNeil is 16th. So they are joined at the hip right there in another way. 
Um, I don't like the McNeil pick as much because he was older. He's 29. Uh, he also does something that's very strange for his skill set, which is that he reaches a lot. Um, and he did improve that a little bit last year. Um, it was the first year that he was better than average, basically, in reach rate. Um, so this is a guy that does uh, depend a little bit on out-of-zone contact. Um, the good news is he makes a lot of contact, so it's worked so far. But out-of-zone contact doesn't age well. So there, you know, he also isn't going to give you much power. Um, so you know, I think there's a floor here for next year where he hits, does the same thing, hmm. and that's just not going to be super valuable. Well, if that happens, even at the price, I'd be a little disappointed. But at the same time, you could cut him and move on if you don't like what you see. I mean, this is just one of those players. Like, I, I think he's a good bad ball hitter. And I think that's part of why he reaches, and but that also might prevent him from unlocking consistent power. He's yeah, I mean he's not he's not the type of player that modern front offices are looking for. You know, bad reach rate, bad barrel rate, bad max EV, has no power, isn't a very good defender. <laughs> uh, it's funny because I remember thinking, uh, you know, oh. Uh, and I love Keith Law, so this isn't uh, uh, like a referendum on Keith in any way. But I remember Keith had never really liked uh, McNeil, mostly because he was so old coming up. Uh, and I thought, well, that's not fair. He played golf, you know. Uh, you know, he, he it wasn't the system that was keeping him down uh, to be so old. It was just, you know, c- circumstances. Um, and then when he had that 23 homer year, I was like, you know, I was like, see, he's great. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But I think a lot of, uh, I think the age matters. Uh, I think a lot of the flaws that Keith saw matter. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll do a pod about this. But um, one of the, my f- favorite and least favorite things about baseball is um, the, mm, the time frame about being quote unquote right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like you're right and then you're wrong and then maybe you're right again. <laughs> It's awesome. So I think in this case, Keith was wrong, and now he's right. Yeah. <laughs> right. And I think even even after that power season, he would have said, yeah, give this like two more years and see if you still think I'm wrong. And Did he say that? I mean, I think that's what he would have said. I'm, I'm yeah, fairly yeah. confident. And, yeah. and then today, you just, you just point and like, scoreboard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, and, and in some instances, in some ways, he's wrong, too, because, uh, I mean, he is like he at least is a major leaguer. Right. And he is at least has some value to his team, um, you know. But, uh, you know, last year was a point five war uh, over two thirds of a season. And next year, he's projected to be uh, in a, in a little bit more than half a season, a one win guy, basically a little bit more than one win. So, um you know, I, I think it's interesting to think about to, to like just for a real life to stand back for a second, put into yourself in a real life standpoint, because McNeil also has a risk that I don't think Labrador's has. I think Labrador's is going to be a starter for the Yankees next year. You know, he may be over at second, but I think he's going to be a starter for the Yankees next year. McNeil right now is not projected to be a starter for the Mets. And it's kind of hard to make the argument unless you're just like they're going to just they're going to cut even if you cut Robinson Cano there's enough players on that team where you'd be like, is he okay? Probably starting if they cut Robinson Cano, maybe a guy that gets traded, you mm-hmm. know, I think that could, that could easily be part of how he ends up with more playing time somewhere. I mean, we're all staring at JD Davis and 
Jeff McNeil and Robinson Cano and Dominic Smith and just being like, you've got a bunch of DHs there. Uh, and if there's no NLDH, it seems like pretty ripe for a, for a trade. Smith would be a good first base reclamation project for the handful of teams that don't have that position sorted out or if they're platooning and just want to consolidate down to one roster spot. Pirates. Yeah. Yeah. McNeil, I think, could fit a lot of different places. There's enough defensive versatility where I could just see him getting added to a trade and ending up in another 600-plus plate appearance situation, even if you can't see it clearly with the Mets right now. So anybody else you'd put in this group? Like that early middle round, guys that were top 100 picks in the last couple of years who aren't right now, who aren't young guys. We'll get to some young guys here in mm. just a few minutes that you'd look at and say, yes, I think this player who's 28, 29, 30 years old actually could still come back to previous levels or very close to it. All right. I'm going to say a name here. And uh, I want to say that this is a little bit more of a deep league thing. <laughs> <laughs> I want to. I want to differentiate his name from the ones before. But I've always and still do have a little bit of love for Gregory Polanco. Whoa! Yeah, wow, I didn't, nice. didn't see that one coming. <laughs> but ten percent barrel rate, one sixteen max velo, really bad reach rate. Twenty nine years old. Get the a rebuilding team gave up on him. Not clear where his role is. I'm not saying to draft him, but if he does end up signing with the team, I think he becomes a very late sort of DC play. Um, and if I were a team, I might consider, even if I was like a contender, like, like if I were the giants, I might consider, you know, uh, adding him at least, uh, for spring training or something to see what was there because he still hits the ball hard, you know, and he, and he still has, he's had some good walk rates without the reach rate. So, you know, maybe there's something there that uh, that can still be unlocked, or maybe it's just a sort of return to uh, somewhere where he's been before. So, I don't know. He's projected to bounce back from a 71 WRC plus to a 91. <laughs> so mm-hmm. <laughs> that's I, I just wanted to put that in perspective. <laughs> All right, um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. There's a uh, I guess Michael Conforto counts. Yeah, I think Conforto could fit in this group. Max Kepler probably could fit in this group if you believe. Lindor. Lindor is a little more like the, the first group of players we talked about, but I, I I like Lindor this year because there are zero concerns about playing time, and he could make val- He could be above average in every single category across the board. Like he still yeah. has that ability, even if he's not a first round guy anymore. Who cares? Mm. If he bounces back and he's a third or fourth round guy, you're you're happy with that. And for as as bad as like like I'm actually surprised. I'm looking at his totals, his his totals for the year that right now, and um, I, I thought they were worse. Like by the end of the year, he got a he had a two forty eight average with twenty homers and ten stolen bases. Like yeah. for all the belly aching, that's a like whoever drafted him. At least they didn't get like a zero value. That's a positive value for for a, a fantasy, right? That's he they returned dollar he returned dollars yeah like in an auction if he went for 30 and returned, returned 15 5 or 10 or something yeah yeah you, you're you know you're not ruined because of that you you wish you got more but right. it, 
that isn't the sole reason why you didn't win. It's actually surprising to me, though. Like I think maybe because the final numbers aren't that bad, you're not getting as much of a discount on Lindor as I thought you might have been able to get back mid-season. Like mid-season, I thought pick 75, pick 80 was a possibility. He's right there inside the top 50, just outside the top 10 among middle infield eligible players, but easily inside the top 10 among shortstops at this point. One one like nice little like nice little rule of thumb that actually uh, is working for me right now is that I like you a little bit better if you're on this projected bounce back list, but your actual WRC plus was close to a hundred, right? Because there's some guys on here that were just so bad, like Jake. Ba- it's like this Jake Bowers. What, what, where how did Jake Bowers come up? Like he overperformed his barrel ISO thing situation, but he still was bad, right? But it was still bad. Yeah, yeah. Like, he brought him up a little while. A couple yeah, weeks Jake ago, Bowers yeah. is is fourth on this projected list because he's projected to go from 63 to 93, but 93 is also bad for like first baseman corner outfielder, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, if you use the rule of thumb that these guys need to be close to 100 for you to like them, here's the list of guys who are in the top you know, 40 that actually had a projected bounce backs that actually had a WRC plus close to a hundred. And then this actually starts to sound like, Oh, these are good players that I want. Alex Bredman, Gliber Torres, um, uh, Andrew Vaughn, who we'll, we'll talk about some young players in a second, Kristen Yelich, uh, Abraham Toro, uh, Jorge Soler, DJ LeMayhew, uh, Max Kepler, Yandy Diaz, Michael Conforto, Francisco Lindor, and Tommy Pham. Isn't that like a pretty good list? It's not a very controversial group of players. I think most people could say, yeah, I'm I'm in on those guys at steep discounts. Right. And they were they were and they were good. They were okay players last year and they're supposed to be better next year. I think I think that's a that's a good place to go. Like if you're like if they go drop down to you know, like David Fletcher had a 70 WRC plus. Yeah, and supposedly he's going to go back to 89, but that's that's a way more risky of a pick than I think people realize. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think, I don't know if you've mentioned Dominic Smith in that list, but I'm I'm intrigued by Dominic Smith. I think another team should trade for him and give him 
regular run at first base and, and see what happens. But we got to get to the final group of players. So let's get to the breakouts on the horizon group, uh, as I like to call them. Wish we had a sponsor that rhymed with horizon for this segment because that would be just perfect. <laughs> Goals for 2022. And I actually don't want like sponsored segments like that. Ads are great. <laughs> got to have ways to pay the bills. But uh, yeah, we're not going to go that route. Jared Kelnick came up among the players uh, near the top of the list for biggest difference between 2021 WRC plus and the 2022 projection. Uh, Cody Bellinger was the only guy that you'd really want to roster who was ahead of him. The names in between those two, JBJ, Kevin Newman, David Bodie, Jake Bowers, those are mono league guys, if that. Mm-hmm. Kelnick, Kelnick is like the first name that pops after Bellinger for sure. Kelnick makes sense for a whole bunch of reasons. I mean, I think this this could, can apply to prospects that debuted in 2021 in general. Because the gap between AAA and the big leagues seems like it's as wide as it's ever been. It's hard to quantify that, but that seems to be a prevailing thought among people around the game. The adjustments are harsh, but I think we saw Kelnick show signs late in the year of getting the plate discipline on track. He showed power. I mean, 14 homers in 93 games as a 21-year-old, that's that's mm-hmm. a good power debut. Age is a really key number here. Ran a little bit. Yeah, I mean, he's so young. Just turned 22 back in July. It makes a lot of sense. I think the cautionary tale for me, and these kind of the same way I've had Yelich and Bellinger stuck together in my head for a few years, the cautionary tale of how long it can take for a player to fully unlock potential is probably Dylan Carlson. Because Dylan Carlson followed up his 2020 debut with what I would say was a good season. 266, 343, 437. Brought the K rate down. Brought the walk rate up. 18 homers in 149 games. was almost a three-war player. It's not early round fantasy material. It's not this guy's a superstar today. But if Kelnick took a step like that, I'd still be really happy with what I had, especially based on where he's going in drafts. But it wouldn't be what everyone thought it would be, right? It'd be disappointing relative to the projection for him as a prospect, but it'd be a big step toward him getting there. And he could get like, he could make all the changes in in one off season and it could all happen at once. That's absolutely possible. But I think the, the projection from steamer at least to me points more toward a Dylan Carlson like year two for Kelnick than hey next year he's a top 20 player in drafts which is totally fine because right now his ADP is just outside the top 125 overall Ooh, so you could do a corner you could do a, a Kelnick Torres double tap <laughs> oh you could just draft all the players on this episode and and just hope that this method is uh but uh, dylan carlson just just to 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 tell people uh what that sounds like with if they don't have the numbers in front of them dylan carlson last year hit 266 with 18 homers and two stolen bases uh was a decent uh, on base percentage with a a 113 wrc plus and was a three-win player so uh in all in all if he did all those things that his major league team would be very happy with him uh his fantasy teams would be less happy with him but uh probably also returning positive value. I was looking at his 15-game rolling average stats um, on Fangraphs, and uh, at the end of the season, he was in the midst of his best fly ball rate. Uh, He was in the midst of his best reach rate. Uh, He was in the midst of his best uh, or second-best K rate stretch. 
Um, and he was in the midst of his best uh, weighted on base average stretch. So uh, I think that you're right that something was clicking for him late in that season in terms of um, seeing the ball right, swinging at the right balls uh, that he could lift, uh, and making the most out of them and, and not striking out as much. So uh, all those things are going to be super important for him next year. What's the bet again? I don't want to eat the hat. Was it a K-rate bet? Or was it an ISO bet? OBP bet. OBP bet? Yeah. I think you're eating the the hat on that one. The projected OBP is only for 307, so. Yeah, but this is a long-term bet, right? Wasn't it a a career or five years or something? Something like that, yeah. Get to pull that (laughs) old audio. If anybody remembers, remind us of these two old men (laughs) what what the bet was so that we can uh, make sure that Eno eats the hat. I think you're going to have to air fry the hat. <laughs> Initially, I thought it was going to be baked like kale chips. I'm not against him as a, as, as at all. Um, no, no. You know, I, it wasn't I, I like was that. a little against uh, spending a lot on him last year uh, just because, um, you know, I don't mind having, especially in mono leagues or deeper leagues, I don't mind having a guy you take a shot on. Um, and goodness knows the guy I took a shot on a lot last year was Joe Adele. But it cost me a lot less to take a shot on Joe Adele, and I won a lot of those leagues, even though Joe Adele gave me nothing, uh, than it would have cost you last year to take a shot on Jared Kelnick. Yeah, so at price in redrafts, I'm comfortable with Kelnick. I think the problem could be that there are other players I also like in that range who might be a bit Yeah, well, do we have a would-you-rather? Rather? Oh, we always. We always <laughs> have a would-you-rather. Rather? Locked and loaded. Austin Meadows versus Jared Kelnick for 2022 only. That's a heck of a uh, comp right still, there, too. Meadows is still in his peak age range. He's not. He's not too old yet. Uh, and I think he he's had some health issues that could get right for him. Like I think he could have a better season going forward. I I, I think I would rather take the shot on Meadows there. Yeah, I think Meadows has um, you know, a bit of a batting average flaw that's going to be there that that 291 back in 2019 looks like an outlier but i also don't know if like we're going to see something lower than 234 like that that seems like the absolute bottom so if he's 270 in batting average that could be the difference between the two players right there it could just be Mm -hmm. that you're getting more average comparable power comparable run production but i would probably lean meadows there as well grisham trent grisham versus Mm -hmm. jared kelnick Mm. Uh, I I know this is Weasley, but uh, in OBP leagues, I'll take that Grisham. Is Weasley. <laughs> that is Weasley. You should see. If you're watching on, on YouTube. You would see the, the the scorn on your face right now. For the three percent of you playing in OBP leagues, <laughs> come on, man. All right, all right. I I, I might take Kellnick here. I, I like Grisham a lot, but it is more for points in the OBP leagues because I love that plate discipline. I think that it's a little bit unclear where the power is going to rest for Grisham next year. I'm going to clarify my would-you-rathers going forward. With $1,800 of your own hard-earned money on the line <laughs> in an NFBC main event scenario, Jared Kellnick or Lourdes Gurriel Jr.? <laughs> oh, uh, I'm going to take Kalnick because I think Lourdes is fine, but I think he's, um, I don't think the upside's there anymore. Okay. Uh, how about this one? This is this is a player type preference thing. Miles Straw versus Jared Kelnick. Are, are you taking Miles Straw in the top 150 overall again in a high stakes environment? Because you're throwing out trades. So you have to get steals somewhere. Maybe you didn't, like, I, I could see it being the, 
crap, I don't have enough steals. He's the guy that I think will play yeah, every day because of his defense, and I'll get the steals. Assume, I don't want him. Yeah, but let's assume a balanced lineup to that date. Like, because you can't, once you start bringing in roster construction, then, you yeah, know. It starts to tear everything apart. A yeah. reasonably balanced roster. Are you Are you actually would passing on Kelnick for strong? I would take okay. Kelnick. Good. I, and I know that uh, these speed guys return, but value. But I, there's nothing that makes me more nervous than taking a guy that has no power and is all speed. They can lose their jobs very easily in mm-hmm. many instances. So it's str- just clear to me that regular baseball does not value those guys very much. So I don't want to build my fantasy team based on something that I don't think real baseball teams value that much. I think the Guardians love Miles Straw because of his salary, though. So well, they trade a reliever for him. They'll play him. They don't. What else? Who else are they going to play? If anybody plays better, they'll play them. <laughs> yeah, but you've seen that outfield. Who's going to play better? Zimmer, maybe, maybe. Anyway, Kelnick over Straw for both of <laughs> us. I mean, you're us. right. You're right. You're right. Last one: Jared Kelnick or Alex Verdugo? Verdugo. That is a really strong floor. All right, I think so we saw with you know, like Lourdes Goriel has a, a kind of a similar-ish floor, but we saw much more up and down with him. Uh, whereas Verdugo is just very solid. Very, you know, he's this there. Always going to give you that batting average. So my verdict here is that Kelnick is going in a reasonable spot, but it's not yeah. a must draft must draft sort of spot either. Like there's plenty of other but options. There will, but he will be more palatable than some of the options there. So he will be on some of my teams, I think. That was just in the outfield too. There's other players, other positions around that yeah, range that might true. be interesting too. But we'll move on to some more but names here. Similar to him, I think, is Andrew Vaughn. Love Vaughn. Uh, you know, Vaughn. Vaughn's in that uh, uh, in the top twenty-five uh, in terms of bounce backs. Um, it, it's almost a, a misnomer to put him in something that you'd call a bounce back, right? <laughs> um, it's more of like a bounce forward or, or a step a step forward. Yeah, bounce forward. Uh, yeah, it's a breakout on the horizon. That's what I I felt like at the beginning when I said you know all rebounds. That that was a little bit unfair to the young players who are still on their way. It was funny because I, I remember writing a, a piece about about this once, and and uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr. was popping in it, and I was like, "Well, oh well, this is the flaw. This is a flaw in my method. <laughs> <You know? laughs> the other flaw in my method. Uh, so this is one flaw in the method, and the other flaw in my method is uh, that it's based on WRC plus, as you've heard us sort of talk through, uh, and we're not in all all in OBP leagues, so." Um, and that matters for Andrew Vaughn because I do think one of the big sources of his uh, projected improvement will be uh, in in the in the OBP category. Um, but I also, you know, uh, he was I think he was one of the very few to take a hundred mile an hour fastball and go oppo uh, tank with it. Um, I think the 15 homers uh, was better than his projection going into the season and was uh, was a really good sign. That he was able to to hang basically at least the league average power at the big league level, and uh, I thought that the uh, plate discipline was there, uh, even if the walk rate didn't quite show it. Uh, you know, I think that his his uh, reach rate was pretty good, and then just actually, and this is not a numbers based argument, just watching his abs, I was very impressed with his approach. Yeah. I just he looks like a guy that's going to do a ton of damage in the middle of lineups for a long time and more about what he was doing as a rookie is good than bad similar to the Carlson stuff I was talking about before it just mm-hmm. 
it, it didn't necessarily jump off the page fantasy wise, but with the position switch, all the stuff we've talked about before, I like what we saw from Vaughn already, and there's plenty of room for him to continue going forward. The uh, last couple names I'm just going to throw out there, kind of rapid fire. I think Alec Bohm sort of pops here. He's the cheapest of these last three guys. I'm going to mention Gavin Lux, longer road because he's been up and down a few times, been around for a couple of years. Still intrigued by him because there could be plenty of opportunity there. I mean, Max Muncy's already saying health-wise, he's not quite right. Lux can play all over the place. They started playing him in center field. That's encouraging. And Cabrian Hayes. I think we talked about him maybe right at the end of the season as a young player that we thought was still going to be in a great place heading into 2022. He had an injury in 2021. Clearly, it's not a great lineup right now in Pittsburgh as they're going through their rebuild. It could get a little bit better, right? Think about O'Neill Cruz, a couple other guys that are going to be a part of the equation here this season. As long as his wrist is healthy when spring training begins, because the hit tool's always been good and because there's zero concern about the volume of playing time, Cabrian Hayes should take a volume-based step forward, but he could also take a skills-based step forward too. Yeah, I love the swing strike rate. Really low swing strike rate. It's a great hit tool. I love the max EV uh, over a 111. So the raw power is there. He's got to unlock some, some more of it. Um, you know, went from a 9% barrel rate to a 5% barrel rate. But, uh, you know, if he ends up halfway in between uh, those two with a 7% barrel rate and a great hit tool and some speed, that's when you're talking about that's why this projection is for like a 270 type batting average with 18 homers and 12 stolen bases which uh, is worth paying for because uh the upside is all in the power uh, the power and the batting average uh and the you know the floor there seems uh like a guy's going to play every day and uh at least do 10-10 or 15-15 you know i think i think there's no way he doesn't return at above zero uh fantasy value next year and so the range there is like you're going to pay five to 10 bucks and you're either going to get back uh, two to three, or you could get back like 25 bucks on this guy. I think there's some roto profile similarities to Alex Verdugo with what you can sort of pencil in for Hayes. And that's a, a nice player to have because you're just getting a little bit of everything at a mm-hmm. very good point in the draft. Again, right around pick and more upside than Verdugo because less of a track record and younger. Yeah. Yeah, and lineup placement should be consistently good for Hayes as well. So lots to like with that profile. That is going to wrap it up for this episode of Rates Wait, and we Barrels. didn't talk about the one we couldn't classify, the one who could not be classified. Oh, Victor Robles? Paul DeYoung. Oh, Paul DeYoung. <laughs> yeah. You know what, though? Let's just keep it going. We mentioned Paul DeYoung on this one. We mentioned Paul DeYoung in an earlier episode uh, of the Athletic Baseball Show. And so let's just see. Maybe Paul DeYoung is the new Rich Hill. Maybe just let's try to shove Paul DeYoung in every podcast going forward. See if we can do it. Doable. Very Doable. <laughs> I, challenge, challenge accepted. I can <laughs> I can make that happen. Uh, give us a follow on Twitter. He's at, you know, Saris. Britt, of course, is at Britt underscore Giroli. I am at Derek Van Riper. If you're watching us on YouTube, be sure to barrel up on the like button. If you don't have a subscription to The Athletic, it's a great gift thing for yourself or for someone else. 33% off for the first year at theathletic.com slash rates and barrels. Don't fret. We have the pitcher rebounds coming out next week. So happy holidays, everyone. We're back with you on Monday. Thanks for listening. 